Well, I'm, uh, I'm really expecting some tips from some guys at the uh, door today um, for what I'm going to say right now. I uh, ran across this t-shirt at Northern Hydraulics, which is now, what, Northern Equipment or something like that, and I've kicked myself for not buying it. Um, here's the front of the t-shirt. Can a man have too many tools? And here was what was on the back of the t-shirt. Um, I, I thought, personally, that was a pretty true uh, t-shirt. Um, we want to talk today about some tools to build a home. And I brought some tools with me. Probably the ones we all think of are a hammer, and I uh, brought an old uh, handsaw that was my dad's. And um, these are sort of the basic things we use to cut and put it together. But if you do much construction, you know that if that's all you've got, you're really in trouble. Because, yeah, you can nail a couple boards together, and you can cut that board to get ready to nail it together, but there's some other things that you really need so that it all fits together, so it's square and level. And so we have all kinds of things like squares that are guaranteed that when you nail it together, if you hold it in line with the square, things will be at 90 degrees. And then we have all kinds of different lengths and sizes of levels to make sure that when you put that foundation down, or you put that wall up, it is in fact level and plumb. Now that's really important because if you don't use those kinds of things and you just use a hammer or a saw, you can put the same boards together, you can uh, bring in the same doors, the same windows. The problem is your home won't hold together because the boards don't meet at the corners and the, the, the opening doesn't work and the door won't open and shut and in winter all that northern wind is just going to come inside your house. You really need a house that's square and level. And that's what we want to talk about today because we need homes that are square and level. Now, how do we do that? Not just a physical house, but a home. Well, we've got hammers and saws. People get together, they get married, they... Uh, rent an apartment or they buy a house. Uh, maybe they start having children. And we think, well, that builds a home. No, I, I think that's just the hammer and saw. We may be together, but is it a home? There's some other things that we need if we want to have a healthy home. And that's what we want to talk about today. Values. I call them the square and the level that help us put together the ingredients of a home and make sure that that home is a healthy home, that it holds together, the boards meet in the corner, the doors swing like they should, and the wind doesn't howl in in winter. Now, I tried to think of a different word than values because I know that's sort of become a catchphrase and it's overly used, but I just couldn't come up with a better one, so we got to deal with it. I, let me take for a second, though, to, to explain what I mean by values. All of us have lots of things we believe. And if, and if we want to talk about your home, we could list off real quickly 50 things we believe about the home. 50 things you believe that, yeah, I like this, yeah, I believe in that, yeah, that should be important, etc. And those are a whole long list of beliefs. But values is a much shorter list. 
Values are those things which are so important to me, I make sure they happen. Values are so important, they will guide my decisions of how I use my week, how I spend my money, where I go, what I don't go. Those are my values. I believe a lot of things. But the things that guide my decisions, guide my life, guide our homes and what we do in them. Those are our values. Now, what are your values? Because the secret is every, every home has values. You didn't have to come here to hear this sermon to decide, okay, our home should have values. No, your home already has values. Every home has values. We may not have identified them. We may not have even thought about them or put them down on the list or anything like that. But every home has priorities that guides what we do. Those are our values. I like to think one of the quickest ways, if you want to know what your values are, I can tell you two places to look. And if you look there, you'll find the values of your home as they are right now. Look at your calendar and look at your bank statement. I was going to say checkbook, but that's becoming antiquated. You look at your calendar and what you do with your week, what you do with your day, and you'll find your values. You look at your bank statement and what you do with your money. You'll find your values. That's what's there. Now, the problem today is we've got a lot of homes trying to be built with what I call broken tools. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you talk to anybody who uh, builds things very much, you can actually drop this. You can go to some stores and buy an aluminum one, which I wouldn't recommend. And it bends real easy. This is a steel one. But it's still square because I'm very careful with it. I don't drop it. And woe unto my kids if they dropped it. Because what happens is, if you have a square that's not square, you still use it, you line it up, and the board is suddenly not where it's supposed to be. And you talk to anybody who does much, and if they have a square that's been bent and they can't fix it, they don't keep it around on the shelf. Oh, that's my square that's not square. No, they throw it away. Because it's not just not useful, it's actually dangerous. Because you might pick it up and use it and think you're building something square, and it's not. The same is true with a level. you got all these little vials in there, and they work really slick as long as they're in the right place and they haven't been knocked and, and bent a little bit. If they are, you think you're making something level, and it's not. You get a level that's not level, you don't keep it around. You throw it away because it's actually dangerous. Unfortunately, today, there's some homes that are trying to be built with tools that are broken. And unfortunately, if people are using them, they don't build healthy homes. They actually build dangerous homes. You watch, you see those values that people use. It's all about things. It's all about me. It's all about career. It's all about whatever. And if you use those values to build a home, it's not going to be healthy. I want to use a warning that Paul speaks to sort of help us get a handle around this. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. 
And that's the chapter we're going to really use today. So if you want to keep your finger there, we're going to come back to it. But Paul begins, actually, the first three verses are a warning. And in effect, he's saying, if you don't have the right value in your home, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how big the house is, how big the income, what car you drive, where you go to work, where you vacation, the labels on your clothes. It doesn't matter. You're not going to have a home. Let's read the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, I am only a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can understand and reveal all mysteries and, and all knowledge, if I even have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I even surrender my body to the flames. I am martyred for the faith, but I have not love. I don't gain anything. Now, Paul's speaking in a church setting there, but notice the importance of the value of love And if you don't have that, all the rest you can have, and bottom line, it doesn't matter. You and I both know a lot of folks who live around us, work with us. In the neighborhood, we play ball with them. We scrapbook with them. And they're building homes, trying to. But they're building them with tools that are broken. And just Paul says, if you don't have the right value, you can have all this stuff and it doesn't matter. And they got all that stuff and they're not happy, they're miserable. And they're scratching their head and they can't figure out what's up or they're just trying it harder. You know, insanity, if it hasn't worked, just try it harder. I'll earn more, I'll work harder, I'll spend more hours, I'll get a newer car, that'll fix it. No, they're using broken tools. I want to ask you today, are there any of those broken tools that have crept into your home? Are there any of those broken values that that you've let sneak in and say, yeah, this is what's important? If we took the time for you to sit here right now and, and look at your checkbook, look at your calendar... Are there some things that would show up in there where the truth is it's some of those broken values that you've let come in and sort of dictate your week, what you do, what your priorities are? It can happen to any of us. We are bombarded with those messages constantly. Buy into this. This is what matters. This will make you attractive and popular and wonderful. And it's so hard to not buy into those. And they creep in. Well, today we want to look at the values that do work, the tools that aren't broken. Those tools that can build a healthy home. And we're going to look at four values today. And and I'm willing to guarantee you, if you'll build your home on these four values, you're going to have a healthy home. they're, They're that ironclad. And the first one is the word that we've already looked at in 1 Corinthians 13, love. I said last week, I think most of us would agree that 
Everybody figures you need love in a home. Whether you're Christian, go to church or not, love is important. We figured that out. The problem is we don't know what love is. And we need to be real clear about what Paul's talking about in this chapter. I need to give you a little background here. <clears throat> the words in the left are in the Greek language. That's what the New Testament was written in. And, the, new, and uh, the Greek language was a very precise language. That's one of the reasons God used it to write the New Testament, I'm convinced. And the reason, one of the reasons I say it was a very precise language is it, it didn't just have a word love. It had three words for love. And that's what those three words are. All of those might show up in our English Bibles as love, but in Greek they had very different meanings. The top word is sarx, and it is just a physical love, a, a physical attraction. I don't even know you. We don't even have to have said one word. You're attractive to me physically. I'm attractive to you physically. If we label that love, that's just sarks. Now, it's, we're, we are physical beings. That's not a bad thing, but it's just one little piece of love. The next one is phileo. It is a brotherly kind of love, a mutual kind of love. You love me, I love you. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, comes from phileo. It's a mutual thing. It's a two-way street. We both are in this. But it's the third kind of love, the one that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's agape love. You've probably heard that phrase. This is a love that's not mutual. This is a love that, in effect, is willing to be one way if necessary from me out to you. Whether you're nice to me or not, I love. Whether you've earned it, well, none of that. It doesn't matter if you're physically attractive or not. I love. I am interested in what's best for you. I am interested in caring for you. How can I help you? This is the love that put Christ on the cross. Agape love. Now, Greek had all three of those words for love. Paul intentionally said, we're going to talk about real, deep love, agape love. Before we leave this slide, though, I want you to think with me for just one more second. Doesn't this describe what's wrong in a lot of homes today? Because of the media, and I, I don't necessarily want to always bash the media, but they sure qualify sometimes. The media has told us the top level is love. If, you, if we're physically attracted to each other, that's love. Let's get in bed, let's get married. There is a physical attraction, and that's all we think love is. Sarks. But if you try and build a home on that kind of love, good luck. It's not going to last. There's a lot of homes that might be at the second level. As long as it's mutual, as, as long as you're good to me, as long as I'm getting something out of this that I want, then I'll be in this. But it's got to be at that level, and i got to get what I want out of this. And if not, then I'm bailing. That's not a value that will build a home either. And we're going to come back to that for a second. Don't bail on me yet. 
but Paul's right, it takes agape love to build a home. Now, that kind of love is not real common. It wasn't common in Paul's day. That's why Paul goes on to explain and, in a sense, give us a definition of what that kind of agape love looks like. Go back to 1 Corinthians with me. I want to read some more verses, verses 4 through 7. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Real love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the love we need to use as a tool to build our homes. I want to go back for just a second and look at that definition that Paul has given us about the love we need to have in our homes. And I've sort of clumped these together into, I think, four pieces. First of all, Paul says that real love is kind. It protects Real love, we live it out. It is expressed in our actions. We show love by what we do, much more than by what we say. There's a lot of people saying they love their family, saying they love another person, but if their actions do not carry that through, do not communicate that love, then their words really are, they're not even just pointless, they actually hurt. Because we don't believe them. Do we show our love by what we do? And most importantly, do we show it in ways that you will understand? There was a book out uh, a number of years ago. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Did I say that right? The whole point of that book is actually an excellent book. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. The differences between men and women. But the whole point of that book was... I need to say love in your language so you understand it. There's an excellent Christian book out. I think I put it in the notes. The Five Love Languages. Excellent Christian book. We're talking different languages. And and, and, and if you don't speak German, I can stand up here all day and say, Oh, ich liebe dich. Ich liebe dich. And you're saying, what's wrong with him? But if you speak German, I've just said I love you. Uh, Our challenge is, it's my job to to live out love in your language so you hear it. Paul says, real love is kind. It protects. It's actions that you soak in and feel loved. And I want to challenge you today. Are you loving in that way in your home? And not just would you say this... If I, inv- I, if I interviewed your spouse, would they say that? If I interviewed your kids, would they say that? If I interviewed your parents, would they say that? That they're living out love in ways and actions that I get and I feel loved. That's real love. Next thing Paul says uh, it says, real love is patient. It's not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. I heard a speaker one day say, and I've never forgotten, I love the phrase, real love keeps short lists. Now, we all got our lists. We all do. Stuff you've done to me, stuff you didn't do to me. The birthday you forgot, the anniversary you forgot. The dumb thing you did, the thing you said in public that you should have never said in public. We all have those lists. Real love tears up those lists frequently. Moves on. That's part of real love. You see, what that does is it says it's okay for you to not be perfect. And I'm not always going to throw it in your face when you're not perfect. I love you. I'm willing to take you as you are and love you as you are and not beat up on you constantly about your mistakes. Not label you. Oh, that's my wife. You know how she is. Oh, that's my husband. Oh, that's my son. How would you like to be that person? Real love says, I'll never do that. It's gone. We're moving on. I love you. That's real love. The third category does not envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud, isn't rude, isn't self-seeking. I think this is one of the points that is so breaking houses today and keeping people from making real homes. It's not about me. Will you repeat after me? It's not about me. Now, you have been told that lie about 5,000 times this past week. That it is about you. It's about you for where you go, what you purchase, what you do. It's all about you and your rights. That's fine, but don't try and build a home that way. Paul says, real love says, it's not all about me. And real love says, I'm willing to go into that place knowing that I can't build a home if I'm going to demand that it be all about me. I want to read scripture. If you've never seen this abbreviation at the bottom, this is James Howard Connor's paraphrased version. Okay. Um, we have copies for sale in the back. If you'd, okay. Uh, if, if you want to read what Jesus really said, you can go read Matthew 16, 25 out of your Bible. I paraphrase it this way, and, and joking aside, I think I'm pretty accurate to his intent and applied in the home. Whoever chooses to focus on living for self will never find a fulfilling life. But whoever lets go of self and loves God and others will find the most fulfilling life possible. It's true. I watched this week, I was trying to make a film clip for today, in all honesty, and I couldn't pull it off. I watched again this week, Family Man. Nicolas Cage, I don't even know who she is. He, 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 who? Okay. He is this incredibly successful stockbroker or a real estate dealer who has everything. 
and uh, he gets transported back into another way his life could have worked out, and he's got uh, two kids and dirty diapers and you name it, and he just absolutely freaks out for about five or six weeks. I, he just can't believe how horrible his life is and all the stuff he lost. And, and you'd say he's miserable, but finally, and it's fun to watch in the movie, he slowly gets it. And by the end, they cut the quasi-angel comes back and says, sorry, you got to go back to being a stockbroker. And he is madder than a hornet because he has figured out that despite the dirty diapers and the sleepless nights and the running to preschool and all the other stuff and the kids crawling into bed in the middle of the night, despite all the junk, it was the greatest life he could ever imagine. Jesus understood that. Paul understood that. Real love understands that it's not about me. And that's not giving up happiness. That's actually the doorway to real happiness. And that's what's so challenging about what Jesus says there in Matthew 16. But if we get that, if we understand that real love is going to take me into a, a, a doorway that says it's not about me and I will be happier going through that doorway, we're going to build a home. And it's going to be a solid home that's level and plumb. And it'll handle anything that life throws at it. Well, there's three more words there, but I actually want to split them out and put them in our second value. And the other three values aren't going to take as long, so don't panic. The second value that we need to build a home with, the, the second tool that I want you to use as you're constructing your home, is commitment. Notice the, the way Paul ends his definition of real love. Real love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now let's be candid. We are living in an age of low commitment. People don't even want to make commitments. If they do make commitments, they will break them easily and they will walk away from them with little or no guilt. And we have become masters at developing excuses and justifications from walking away from our commitments. It started decades ago with the fine print of contracts. And it has just gone into every area of our lives. I can walk away from this commitment. My, kid, my mom dropped me on my head when I was three. You know, I, I, I have uh, been drinking water since I've been, and I've now found out that drinking water is not good for you, so I'm out of here. I'm breaking this commitment. I'm not uh, holding to this commitment, whatever. The problem is being a healthy home isn't easy. It's hard work, just like I was talking about in that movie, Family Man. It's long days, it's longer nights, you get dirty, people throw up on you, you change dirty diapers, things break, people don't show up, they let you down, they forget your birthday. That's what, it, that's what a home is about. If you want to have a home, you have to persevere. You have to keep trusting. You have to keep hope alive. You see, there are no homes, no healthy homes, 
without scratched furniture and stained carpet and torn up yards and dead bushes that you paid a lot of money for for landscaping and it became home plate. When trust was violated and hope was near death, and when that happens, that's when commitment has to kick in. Now, I want to try today to walk a very fine line, and I do so carefully, and I want you to please hear me. I understand, I do understand, and some of you here today may be in or have been in homes where you said, it's done, it's over. I understand that. That commitment, no more. And I understand that there are certain situations that I... This is sort of a no-win. I think you may have made the right decision. So please hear that. I understand that. I, my intent today is not to sit here and make anyone in this room feel guilty for what has happened. But I do think we have to see the challenge that building a healthy home is going to demand that we have commitment and we hang in there. Are there situations where it's beyond hope? Certainly. But I think we're at an age where, to me, the pendulum has gone too far the other way. And I want to try and bring that pendulum back some. And say, just because it gets tough doesn't mean it's time to bail. Stick with it. Work some more. Try that commitment some more. Work with it. It's not easy. It's not going to be easy. What, is, what scares me is that we got people running around from relationship to relationship because they have this uh, mythological expectation that it should be easy. And if it's not easy, I'm out of here till I find the easy one. It doesn't exist. Only in the movies and on TV. And that's what I want to challenge today. Not condemn, but to challenge and say, forget the easy one. Build the real one. And it will require you to persevere. It will require you to have days when you have a little self-talk and say, what have I done? And scratch your head. And say, okay. Let's dig in. Let's make it work. To do that, we have to have the third value. Communication. I put this one down as a value because it scares me today. We're so busy, we don't have time to communicate. And that's why it worries me for our homes. We, communication must be a value that says it is so important in our home, we will make time for it. Honest communication that is open and is two-way, that is listening as much as talking. And we're going to deal with parents, and well, it's not just parents, it's marriage too. But folks, we've got to be challenging to ourselves. Too often, I think, as parents, we're saying, they're not listening. But if we ask our kids, they'd say, no, they're not listening to us. 
It's much more fun to preach to the kids, isn't it, than listen to the kids. We need to make sure our home has two-way communication and that we're listening. And it's not just parents and kids. It's spouses. It has to have a regular pattern where we build it into our lives. A number of years ago, I was driving in the car and um, listening to talk radio. Um, and they were interviewing the president of American University, which is out on the East Coast. And he, he was talking about a fascinating study. And they had taken the National Merit Scholars, and these are the top high schoolers in the country. And what they had done is they had tried to study the National Merit Scholars and find out any commonality. What is it that's producing National Merit Scholars? And the study actually blew them away because they couldn't find a commonality. It wasn't a matter of big city schools, little country schools. It wasn't a matter of oldest child, youngest child. No commonality could they find. But one and only one commonality in the National Merit Scholars. When I heard it, I drove off. I drove off. I pulled off on the shoulder. I had to write it down. I didn't want to forget it. The commonality in National Merit Scholars was they had all grown up in homes where the family sat down and ate dinner together. The point of that was they were in homes where the family said, we are going to communicate. We're going to talk about life together. We're going to hear about each other's lives. We're going to be able to ask questions and process. And that is a priority. And the kids who grew up in those kinds of homes where there was communication happening, and it was a priority. Those kids came out of a healthy home that launched them into life. Communication has to be a priority, a value. The family sharing together. The fourth one is that we follow the instruction manual. And this actually goes back to a passage we looked at last week. Where Jesus says, my words... If you will build your life on this rock, your house will stand, your home will stand. We talked about it last week. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it today, but I wanted to remind you about it. Are the guidelines that Jesus gives us of how to live, how to treat others, how to turn the other cheek, how to sacrifice, how to stand up and make a whip and clear the temple? Are those guidelines, those instruction manuals, a value? We will do them. We will build them into our home. One of the names that we have for Jesus, one of the names in the New Testament for him is Cornerstone. We have lost the meaning of Cornerstone. Let me give you the ancient meaning. What we think of when we think of a cornerstone is this big rock in the corner of a building where they chisel in the date, right? The name of the building. And that's pretty much how we use a cornerstone for a day. Oh, we bury stuff in it too. It's hollow and we bury stuff in it. It makes a time capsule. Believe it or not, in Jesus' day, that had absolutely no concept for them. That was not what a cornerstone was about at all. A cornerstone was the most carefully made block as near as possible it was perfect absolutely square and perpendicular in every way and it was the first and it was this big perfectly square rectangular block 
and it was laid, the first block laid. Because everything else took its lines from the sides of that block. And so the rest of the building was square if the cornerstone was square. And you lined up all the other blocks on the cornerstone. Now, I brought one of my favorite toys. This is just fun. And there would be one down there, but it's right on the table. And it floats. It's always square. Always straight. And you can line stuff up, and you can build it, and you want to know where to hang that ceiling fan? Right there. Jesus said, will you let me be that for your homes? Will you let my words be that? You want to organize your budget? Follow that line. You want to organize your calendar? Does it line up with that? If we do that, Christ is the cornerstone of our homes. Our homes will be square and level, and they'll be healthy, and we'll have a wonderful home to live in. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for creating us in families and giving us homes, but they're also challenging. I know there's some people here today, probably, Father, that this is a painful subject. But, Father, they're here because even though it's painful, there's something in us we want to live in a healthy home. We want to know that challenge and that joy, the frustrations and the fun. And Father, I just ask your Spirit to be able to use something I've said to help us each see a little bit clearer picture of maybe what we've been doing wrong, but most importantly, what we need to be doing right so that our homes are square and level, so our homes are healthy homes. Father, help us build those kinds of homes. In your son's name, amen. Would you please stand?
know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. I hope you've been blessed by your time here today. As we leave, there will be some people over in the prayer room just around the corner. If there's, you'd like to talk with someone, pray with someone, please take advantage of that. There are lovely people who will be happy to pray with you. Um, may we go today uh, recommitted to live by that cornerstone and the life he's laid out for us. Thanks. Thank you.